Galatians chapter 4, the verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, than an heir of God through Christ. And then Second Corinthians chapter 6. Just one verse here. Second Corinthians chapter 6. The verse 18. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians. Uh, well we'll take it from verse 17. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it speaks to us in a language that we can easily understand. And in order to describe the relationship between God and the believer, it uses a very familiar word in a very simple term. It uses the word adoption. But what is adoption? Well, it is the giving to anyone the name, place and privileges of a son who is not a son by birth. Now, in the days of the New Testament, the Romans had a custom a person who did not have children of their own could legally adopt. And this son or daughter would be legally viewed as one who is born of both parents. So in the eyes of the state, the one who's adopted would be viewed as if they had been born of those parents. Now adoption in almost all cases is a heartwarming act of love. And we see examples of it in scripture. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Esther was adopted by Mordecai. We see natural adoption. We know what natural adoption is. You take a child who has no parents or perhaps parents who aren't fit to look after it and you adopt that child to be your own. But there's also in scripture something called spiritual adoption whereby God adopts men and women into his family. The Westminster Confession of Faith in the Shorter Catechism Question 34 asks the question, what is adoption? And it gives the answer. Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. So we understand what natural adoption is. But the Bible speaks of something far greater and grander. Far, something far more uh, relevant to us in our sin and in our needs. It's spiritual adoption, whereby God adopts us into his family. And think for a moment what a miracle adoption is. 
Because look at the person that God adopts. God doesn't scour the earth and find the best of people. He doesn't find the most righteous, those who have kept his commandments. He doesn't pick those who are the most worthy or even the most lovable. In fact, he does something far greater. He picks those who are unlovable. He picks those who are unworthy and those who are unrighteous of receiving his grace. And he bestows to them all the things that they do not deserve. And they could not merit. God adopts those who have broken his law. God adopts those who are enemies warring against him. God adopts those who he describes as being children of Satan. Living under the prince of this world. But think of the cost of adoption. It hasn't cost us anything to be adopted into God's family. We didn't sacrifice anything. We didn't pay anything. But there was a cost that was paid for an adoption. If you go to uh, adopt a child, I don't know what it is here in America, but I know in the UK that you can have a, a cost to pay. To apply to adopt. If you want to adopt a child from a foreign country. You might have to pay tens of thousands of dollars. Well there was a cost that has been paid. For you and me to be adopted into the family of God. And the cost that was paid was the uh, death of God's only begotten son. For the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. Paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the ransom for our soul. He shed his blood to wash away our transgressions so you and I could be adopted into the family of God. And that is the price that was paid for adoption. And I say it's the greatest price that has ever been paid for somebody to be adopted. Christ laying down his life for us. Now our adoption, you may be wondering, well at what point am I adopted? Am I adopted in eternity past? Am I adopted at the moment I'm born? When am I adopted into God's family? Well, adoption occurs immediately upon our justification. That moment whenever God saves us and declares us justified in his sight, we are at that time adopted. You see, adoption isn't a long process. Adoption is an act. And an act happens once. And it cannot be lost. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said adoption is a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. And think about it. It is. Adam didn't need to be adopted. Adam was made righteous. Adam was made perfect. Adam, of course, went against his righteousness and he sinned against God. But whenever you and I, who have been born in that sin and lived in that sin, are then adopted into the family of God, It's the greatest mercy that ever there was. And dear friends, I say to you today that adoption is not a cold, dry, dead doctrine. Adoption is a heart-melting truth. Whenever we meditate upon our adoption into the family of God, it ought to stir up our souls. It gives us that very simple understanding of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And really... It's a great comfort to us whenever we think of our relationship with our God to know that he has adopted us. But there's seven blessings I want us to consider from our adoption here this morning. And the first blessing is that we have received God's love. 
We're loved by God. John 17 verse 23. Christ says I in them and thou in me. That they may made, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. It's a, it's a question really for a child who comes into a new family. He's been adopted by these new parents. He's maybe met them a couple of times before. But he's maybe coming in and everything's new. And if the child's a little older, he'll maybe wonder, do these parents love me? How can they love me? They don't really know me. Well, it's a miracle to think that, and it's a blessing to know, that we have received God's love. That he has loved us. And having loved us, he's then adopted us into his family. It's not enough just to be told that we're loved by God. Dear friends, we can know that we're loved by God. Romans 5 verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And that's one of the comforts of being adopted into God's family. We receive God's love. We're told that we're loved by God. But we also know personally that we're loved by God. And we can rest. And have confidence in his love. Of course we may displease God with sin. But we'll never lose his love. Never. So the first blessing adoption gives. Is that we receive God's love. The second blessing that adoption gives. <clears throat> is that we receive a new nature. John 1 verse 12. But as many as received him. To them give he power. To become the sons of God. Even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're told there that, we're, that he gives us power to become the sons of God. We don't have that power ourselves to take upon us a new nature. But no, God gives us that power. That's one of the blessings of adoption. We receive a power that we didn't have before. And it's in that new nature. Colossians 3 verse 10. And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So again, once we're adopted into the family of God, that old nature that loves sin and loves the things of the world is gone. We receive a new nature. We're a new man. Second Peter 1 verse 4. Uh, Peter says, Whereby are given unto us exceedingly... Great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. What is this new nature we have? Well, it's being born again of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit coming and regenerating us, changing us and making us to be new creatures in Christ. And that is one of the blessings of adoption that that old nature that loves sin and loved the world, that new nature has been replaced of course that we still live in the body of the flesh but we have the new nature we're born again of the holy spirit and we have new obediences we have new desires the desires of a child of god whenever a child is adopted in an earthly home it receives a lot of new things a new home to live in a new bed to sleep in new toys to play with new clothes to wear but whenever God adopts us into his family, we receive something that we desperately need. That new nature. The nature of a child of God. And that's only possible through the Holy Spirit. The third blessing we receive from adoption 
is the title of children. And we see that in uh, the verse we read in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. God says, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. J.I. Packer says, The gift of sonship to God becomes ours, not through being born, but through being born again. You see, we're not children of God because we've been born into a Christian country. And we're not children of God because we've been born into a Christian home and have Christian parents. We receive the title of sons and daughters of God through being born again. And adoption changes our status. We now call God our Father. In fact, Christ teaches us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven. This world is no longer our home. We have a new home. It's in heaven. And we realize that we're only pilgrims passing through this world to get there. Adoption also gives us a new family. We're now the children of God. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Made up of people from every nation. Made up from people of a variety of languages and social classes. We're now part of the same family. We have this title, Children of God. Now a child adopted by a family will usually take the family's surname. He'll have his name legally changed. He'll be known under his new name. And it might take some time to get used to it. If the child's older and he's been used to one name, it'll take a while to get used to another name. But that name will show where he belongs. I belong to this family. This is the name that I have. I'm now part of this family. Well, so whenever we're converted, we gladly take the name of Christian because we're identifying with Christ. We're identifying with God's people. And it's a title we have as a child of God. And our adoption cannot be lost. We cannot forfeit it. Sometimes in this world, if something happens, the parents, a child, will have to leave that family. Go and live with another family, be adopted by them, maybe for a second time, maybe even a third time. Well, the child of God can never lose their adoption in his family. Now, we can lose our consciousness of our adoption because of sin. We can, uh, we can feel the, uh, our grief for sin. We can lament our stubbornness to obey God's law. And by our sin, we can lose that sense of consciousness. But we can never truly lose our adoption. Once God has adopted us, he's adopted us forever. Now sadly, not all men are children of God. In John 8, 44, Christ said to the Jews, and in particular the Pharisees, Ye are of your father the devil. He didn't say, God is your father. No, he said, your father is the devil. Now there's a false doctrine being taught in the world today and in professing Christian churches called universal fatherhood. That God is the father of all. Well dear friends that's a lie. God is not the father of all in the sense of he's adopted everybody into his family. That's not true. God has only adopted a particular people into his family. And it is those for whom Christ died and those for whom Christ shed his blood. If God adopted everybody into his family then everybody would be saved. There would be no hell. But that's not right. 
Because we know these things are so. So those who are in the family of God are those for whom Christ died, for whom Christ shed his blood, and those who have received the effectual calling to repentance. So the third blessing is the title of children. The fourth blessing of adoption is that we receive the spirit of children. Now we're all products of our environment. We know this to be so. If you're brought up in a house where your parents are atheists, you'll quite likely grow up an atheist as well. If you're brought up in a family where your parents are communists, you'll grow up with those socialist and communist values as well. If you're brought up in a Christian home, you should be brought up uh, knowing how to read the Bible, knowing the truth of the Bible, and knowing the importance of walking with God. We're products of our environment. We're, we're impacted by those who are naturally around us. I see this in our home. Sometimes if I'm running around getting a little bit flustered, I'll let a oh, grunt out of me like that. Well, there's a, a little person in our house who's picked up uh, Daddy's bad habit of a, of a disgruntled grunt whenever he's uh, uh, a little bit flustered, and, and she does the same thing as well. Children pick up the habits of the environment. <clears throat> and so it is true spiritually as well. We ought to pick up the environment to which we uh, belong. In Romans 8, verses 15 to 17, Paul says here, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. <clears throat> the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. First Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. John says in Second John 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Pardon me. So, whenever we're adopted into the family of God, one of the blessings we have is the spirit of children. And we know that we're children. And therefore, we live as children. And Peter, or, or sorry, Paul says to the Romans that we have received that spirit of adoption. Peter says the children of adoption will be obedient children. And John says they will be those who are walking in truth. So the spirit of a child of God is not somebody who's living in sin and loving their sin. Somebody who's living in a far country from God. No, the spirit of a child of God, one who has been adopted into his family, is somebody who loves God. Somebody who's walking in obedience with God, who is seeking to walk in truth and sincerity. And that comes as a challenge to us today then, doesn't it? Have we that spirit of the children of God <clears throat> or do we have that spirit of well I want to be in heaven but I want to live in the world well once we're adopted into the family of God we receive the spirit of children and we ought to live as the children of God the fifth blessing of adoption is the fatherly comforts we receive if you turn to Luke chapter 12 
Luke chapter 12, verse 27. The Lord Jesus says, Consider the lilies, <clears throat> how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these. Being anxious is part of human nature, isn't it? We fret and we worry about the most trivial of things. They don't seem trivial to us at the time, but looking back we nearly hang our heads in shame that we worried about such matters. We see this in children, fretting over unimportant things that we could fix in an instant. I was dragged out of bed at four o'clock one morning because somebody had woke up and realised they couldn't find their toy necklace and it became so important at four o'clock in the morning that uh, she had to come and drag daddy out of bed to come and find this necklace and of course I didn't get out I said we'll find it in the morning but we fret we worry it's part of who we are well God comforts us as only a father can do and surely he must look upon our fretting and think well why don't you just trust me I've promised you earthly comforts he hasn't promised to make us rich or abounding in greed, but he's always promised to meet our need. He says, your father knoweth that you have need of these things. What earthly father does not want to provide for his children? Well, an unloving, uncaring, a selfish one. But can we really level that accusation against God? I don't believe we can. God wants nothing but the best for his children. Now that doesn't mean that we'll be sitting with a Ferrari in the drive of our big mansion uh, seated in a uh, hundred acres with no neighbours to bother us. Of course not. But whenever we say that God wants the very best for us, we're not talking about the prosperity gospel. We're talking about grace in our souls. And surely that is the greatest comfort that we can have in life. That whatever be my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul and the greatest comforts dear friends will be from knowing that we're the children of God and knowing that he is our father and that he cares for us and that he loves us and that he will do nothing that is uh, against us but only for our good one of the comforts of adoption is knowing our father comforts us at all times the sixth blessing of adoption <clears throat> is fatherly chastisements. And if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we'll see this, Hebrews chapter 12, in the verse 5. Paul says to the Hebrew believers, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thy the chastening of the Lord, nor faint, when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. <clears throat> if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? What is chastisement of a child? Well, it is godly correction. It is seeking to direct a child from a wrong attitude or behavior to a right attitude. Fathers don't do this to bully their children, to harass them, or dictate to them. It's an act of love, seeking the good of the child. And if a parent did not chastise a child, but let them do what they want, well, it would be seeking to be popular with the child. It's not seeking to direct them in godliness, it's seeking uh, to be that child's favourite person. But whenever the children of God err, what should God do with us? Should he ignore us so he can remain popular with us? Or should he correct us so he can guide us in truth and in righteousness? Well, the truth is, dear friends, that as our Father, sometimes God has to correct us. In Revelation 3, verse 19, Christ says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And, dear friend, this is one of the blessings of adoption, that our Father would chastise us whenever we sin and wander away from him. And we might not like to think of it as being a good thing, but it is a good thing. Because we know that if children are left unpunished, they will be spoilt. We're told, spare the rod and you will spoil the child. And so it is with us. If you and I are harboring sin in our hearts, God has to chastise us for it. If you and I have developed these attitudes and behaviours that are not fitting of a Christian, God has to wean us off those things and, and chastise us for them. But you know who I fear the most for? Those who are without chastisement. <clears throat> if you look at verse 8 of Hebrews 12. Paul says here, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we give them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection? Unto the Father of spirits and live. For they verily for a few days chastised us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. But grievous. Nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Unto them which are exercised thereby. He chastises us for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see, whenever God chastises us, he's saying, this thing that you're doing is wrong, this attitude that you're holding is wrong, and if you correct it, you'll be more like me. You'll be holier. You'll be Christ-like. And surely that's what each child of God wants. We should never be content sitting and thinking, well, I'm happy with the level of Christianity that I've reached. I know I'm going to heaven and this will do me for the rest of my life. No, the desire of the Holy Spirit and the desire of our heart should be make me more like Christ. Make me as holy as it's possible for a justified sinner to be. That was the prayer of Robert Murray McShane. The seventh 
and final blessing of adoption is the glorious inheritance that awaits us. The child adopted into the family is now part of the family. He has confidence this is his home for life. Whenever his parents pass away, he will be a partaker of the inheritance. He'll inherit the the privileges that have been laid up for him. And so the children of God have an inheritance awaiting for them. Romans 8, 17. We're told, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Think about that, a joint heir with Christ. James 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that loved him? We're heirs of the kingdom of God. Well, what is our inheritance? Well, John 14, verse 2, Christ says, <coughs> In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Dear friend, the inheritance that we receive as being the children of God is being with Christ that where I am, there ye may be also. It will not be separated from Christ. It will not be just seeing him every now and again. No, our inheritance is to be with Christ day after day throughout the rest of eternity. That is our inheritance. Second Timothy 4 verse 8 We're told henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. We don't know perfect righteousness at the moment. You and I live in a body of sin. We still have sinful thoughts and tendencies. But our inheritance is a perfect righteousness. The perfect righteousness of Christ that will be with us and on us and in us for all of eternity. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 4 that our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you what a glorious inheritance the christian has you know many people in the world today they fear death because they don't know what's going to happen they don't know where they will be a second after they close their eyes and breathe their final breath they don't know what awaits them they're certainly hoping the bible's wrong They're maybe putting their faith in some other religion or cult. But the truth is they don't know and there's a fear for them. But there's not a fear for the Christian. Of course, we don't want to experience the sting of death. Nobody wants to have to go through those final moments of agony. We don't look forward to the sting of death. But the Christian has nothing to fear after death. Because there is laid up for us that glorious inheritance That is given to us by our Father. You see God does not adopt us. And then abandon us. God adopts us. And he keeps us. And we're told that we're kept by the power of God. Not just in this life dear friend. But for all eternity. That's the inheritance. That we have. Coming to a close here this morning. (coughs) My wife was reading a story about a couple who couldn't have any children and they decided to adopt 
and they were partnered up with this uh, pregnant mother and they were going to adopt her child and that was all fine and then they found out that this pregnant mother was actually having triplets three children so the parents were left with this difficult decision well we, we thought we we're only adopting one but now there's three should we adopt the one or two or all three and they made the decision well it wouldn't be right to separate them so we will adopt all three children it'll be hard but we'll manage we'll we'll, we'll get through it well as they signed up to adopt the three children the papers had all gone through they were legally going to be theirs they then found out they were pregnant with twins <laughs> so now they have an even greater decision well We've already signed up for these children. They're ours. They're not born yet, but they're going to be ours. So what do we do? Do we adopt them after all? Well, they'd already loved them. From the moment they knew that they were going to adopt them, they had already set their hearts upon them. They'd already planned for them. So they said, we'll adopt those three and we'll have the two of our own. So they were left with five children under the age of one. Which to you and me would cause us to go grey overnight, would cause us to age rapidly, would probably put us in an early grave. We would struggle with a vast amount of children like that. We couldn't imagine having to adopt three children and then having two of our own. I couldn't. But God doesn't struggle with that sort of adoption. Christ didn't come to just adopt one or two Hebrews 2 verse 10 says that he came to bring many sons unto glory. And dear friend, it's a wonderful comfort for us today that he has not left us in our sin and he is not dealing with us as we deserve, but he's done something wonderful. He's adopted us into his family. He's given us that new name, that new nature. He's given us those new desires upon our heart. He's given us new family members. People in this world that we may never see. But we're part of the same family. Those who are in the persecuted churches in India and Nepal today. They're our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Those saints who have lived some thousand years before us. They're our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're all part of the same family. You see, Christianity is not just a, <clears throat> well, you're saved, on you go. Christianity, being converted, is belonging. Belonging to God's family. And we should comfort ourselves with this wonderful truth. That we belong to the family of God. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee today for the great comfort of Thy Word. To know that we're loved by Thee is an amazing thing. But to know that we're adopted into Thy family. Lord, Thou hast not made us servants or slaves. Thou hast not made us even as the ministering angels. No, Thou hast brought us into Thy family. There isn't a more intimate relationship we could have. And we thank thee this day. Let us never lose the warm sense of our adoption. 
Let us ever meditate upon it. And let us be those who grow in grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.